and thank you for being here. I know this is a time where school starts, our universities are about to get full swing in session, and we welcome you this morning. We're so glad that if you're visiting with us, you chose to be with us this morning, and we want to extend to you a warm welcome and, and hope that you will come back, and uh, if you're looking for a church home, be a part of this family. I'm going to ask a question, and your response to that question is going to date you a little bit. How many of you have ever seen the movie Jeremiah Johnson? Barry, I'm looking at you. Surely you've seen this movie, right? By the way, that's Barry Williams. He shaved his Duck Dynasty beard. I don't know if you knew who he was. The movie Jeremiah Johnson is about a Mexican-American war veteran who decides that he wants to live as a hermit in the mountains. The only problem is he's not well-equipped to live as a hermit in the mountains. He doesn't have the skills necessary for survival. Thankfully, he comes in contact with a wise old mountain man by the name of Bearclaw. And Bearclaw shows him the ropes, gives him the necessary survival skills that he needs. Now, Jeremiah Johnson learns to adapt pretty well. He meets a, a native woman by the name of Swan, and he marries her. He has an adopted son by the name of Caleb. Everything seems to be going in the right direction until he encounters the Crow Indians. And he goes through much travail and tumult. And I don't want to ruin the movie for you if you hadn't seen it, but at the very end, after everything has happened to Jeremiah Johnson, he has another encounter with Bearclaw. And Bearclaw asked him, was it worth all the trouble? And Jeremiah Johnson responds, what trouble? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. My friends, I believe that the person who battled cancer for much of their lives, when they get to heaven and they stand in the glory and the presence of God, they're going to see their suffering as momentary in life. I believe the sister in Christ whose brain was taken away by Alzheimer's, is going to arrive in heaven one day and stand before God with a fully restored memory and consider it all momentary and light affliction. I believe that all of us who die in Christ are going to reach our heavenly home and whatever we had to deal with in this life, we're going to look around, we're going to see the glory of heaven and, and bask in the radiance of God, and we're going to say, that was nothing. I believe Jimmy Jividen's going to get to heaven, and he's going to look around, and God's going to say, was it worth all the trouble? And he's going to say, what trouble? I believe when Nelda Robertson enters into heaven, after dealing with three bouts of cancer, 
God's going to say, take a look around. Was it worth all the trouble? And she's going to say, what trouble? Or Bob Childress, or Carlos Appleton, or Bob Connell, or Danny French, or, or, or all these folks that we have lost recently. When they arrive in heaven, I believe they're going to look around and God's going to say, was it worth all the trouble? And they're going to say, what trouble? This is momentary and it's light. Consider also what Paul wrote. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the, to the glory that is to be revealed to us. No matter what it is that we have to go through, no matter what it is that we endure in this life, it's not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not even worthy. It's apples to oranges. It's not even on the same plane. It's the difference between shooting a bullet and throwing one. Not even worthy to be compared. And I realize some of you probably struggle to buy into that. I'm looking at some of your faces and perhaps you're thinking, okay, Chris, yeah, why don't you enlighten us on suffering? What do you know about suffering like you've ever really suffered? So go ahead and, and quote James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you endure various trials. Go ahead and educate us on how sufferings draw us closer to God. Tell us all about Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good to those who believe in Him. My friends, I may not know a whole lot about suffering, and I'm not trying to lecture you this morning on the benefits of suffering necessarily, and I don't want to make light of your suffering. But I want you to know that in the grand scheme of things, any suffering that you endure right here, right now on earth will be considered light and momentary in eternity. I know you're struggling. Some of you have even been on the brink of giving up. We're going to do a series of lessons over the next few weeks to help us because this is a church that while we have so many things going in the right direction and so many things to be excited about, we have a lot of people who are sick, who are afflicted. We have lost a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters recently. We are a group of hurting people. And in the midst of your hurting, some of you are saying, is this as good as it gets? And I want to assure you this morning, no, it's not. Not even close. Can you imagine the man in John chapter 5? You remember that man? that was sitting by the pool waiting for the angels to stir the waters so that he could get in and be healed, but because he was lame, everybody went in before him. You remember that guy? And Jesus walks up to him. Do you think that guy ever thought, is this as good as it gets? I mean, is this going to be my life? Am I going to die here sitting by this pool waiting for someone to put me in it? And then, of course, Jesus comes on the scene and basically says no. This isn't as good as it gets. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. How about that guy in Mark chapter 2? You remember that man who, who lived his life on a, on a mat, confined to begging for food and for handouts? Thankfully, he had four friends who took him to meet Jesus, but the place was so packed, they had to open up the roof and lower him down. You remember that guy? Do you think he ever thought to himself, is this as good as it gets? Is it ever going to get any better for me? Am I going to have to live my life praying and hoping that I, I keep my friends? 
And then, of course, Jesus tells him basically the same thing, right? Your faith has made you well. Go and pick up your mat and walk. Go home, he said. Or what about that woman that was dealing with the issue of blood? Do you remember her? For 12 years, she had dealt with this hemorrhaging. She was bleeding in obvious pain and affliction. And she sees Jesus. And in desperation, she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And immediately, he feels power leave him. He says, go, you're healed. But can you imagine before that episode what she must have been thinking? Was she thinking, is this as good as it gets for me? Is this my life? Is this all I have to look forward to? Or how about Bill Gates with his $85 million or whatever his net worth is? Can you imagine that he sits around sometimes and goes, wow, this is as good as it gets. Don't get any better than this. And what would Jesus say to him? Well, he might say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? But I think he would say to him, no, Bill, it gets better. You're missing out because there's something a lot better than this. Or how about Hugh Hefner? You know, a guy who has made a fortune peddling pornography, living in the lap of luxury, this mansion that he's built surrounded by beautiful women all day parading around in his pajamas. I'm sure he sat around at least once or twice and said, doesn't get any better than this. And yet Jesus would tell him, oh, yes, it does. And you better turn around or you're going to miss it. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine a woman whose husband was taken away from her tragically in an instant because of a heart attack. And imagine this same woman then was diagnosed with cancer. And she dealt with the long, drawn-out struggle of cancer. The treatments brought her to the brink of death, really. And she thought about giving up. But she hung in there. She fought. Through it all, she never complained. She gets well. She beats the disease. She uses her malady and her experience to be a beacon of integrity, to be a virtuous woman, and to go to the hospital and visit others who are in a similar situation because she knows she's been in their shoes. They just need a hand to hold and some encouragement. And imagine she's diagnosed with cancer again. And she goes through the treatments. Again, she's hanging on. And she's here every Sunday to show the world what true strength looks like. She doesn't blame God. Instead, she worships God. Imagine a woman like that. You don't have to imagine. She's here this morning. Her name's Carol Hutchins, and she's sitting right back there. What a beacon of integrity. What a wonderful example for us to look to. Carol, is this as good as it gets? Of course not. It gets better. My friends, I just want to leave you with hope. Just as Jesus leaves us with hope, just as Paul spoke about hope over and over again, to all of you who are dealing with illness or hurt or emotional scars or bouts of depression, to those of you who feel like you're losing at life, to those of you 
who have lost someone near and dear to you and you wonder how you can ever move forward, please hear me on this. It gets better. What you're going through, believe it or not, is momentary. And it's light. And someday on the other side of eternity, your hope will be realized when all the pain is gone. This isn't as good as it gets. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 is basically Paul's way of saying, hang on, it gets better. This isn't all that there is. Whatever the topic, whatever the issue it is that's being discussed in our world today, there's always an expert that's brought in. You ever notice that? Whether we're talking about politics or sports or whatever it may be, when you have a panel discussion, you always bring in the expert. Any panel discussion on suffering would have to include Paul because he was an expert. You see, it's one thing to have some book knowledge about a topic. It's another thing to have some real-world experience. And Paul certainly had real-world experience. Here's a guy that was an expert on the topic. Consider these words. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, our view of suffering is short-sighted, and that's not abnormal. That's perfectly normal. We all tend to live in the moment, don't we? We all tend to view things on this side of eternity because when we're going through difficult times, it's hard to see anything else. The trial gets all of our attention. But during those times when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, what do you cling to the most? What is there as the anchor to your soul? Hopefully, it is hope. That's what Paul is getting at. I don't think Paul is saying that, that all hardships are really not that big a deal and you need to quit making a big deal out of them. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I don't think Paul is a guy who had a high tolerance for pain and couldn't sympathize with other people. And I don't think Paul is saying, hey, you just need to have a better perspective. No, Paul is talking to afflicted people. And what do afflicted people need to hear? A message of hope. They need to know that this isn't all that there is, that it gets better. In 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1, he says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. 
For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared for us at this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage. I say, we prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. It gets better. Paul was a tent maker who lived in a tent, but the tent he was living in wasn't his house, it was his body. And tents were never meant to be permanent. They're temporary. They're temporary dwelling places. They're not where you set up residence. Living in a tent can be quite inconvenient. There's not many amenities. There's not a whole lot of shelter, a little bit. It's difficult living in a tent day to day, but it gets better because we have a mansion over the hilltop. One day we will trade in our tent for a heavenly home and the heavenly father. And Paul is, is doing his best to encourage a afflicted people by reminding them that this isn't all that there is. He says, while we look at not things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's easy to focus on your difficulties. It's easy to focus on the trial as people who tend to live in the moment it's really easy to focus on the despair. It's easy to become pessimistic. And it's easy to allow our pain and our suffering and our hardship to garner all of our attention. But I think Paul is trying to tell us that we need to look past the pain and look to the promise. That it gets better. When life is at its lowest, remember that you're going home. You may live in an earthly tent right now, but you have a place reserved for you in heaven someday. Do your best to shift the focus from the things that are seen to the things that are not seen, right? Even though Paul's body was being destroyed, his spirit was being renewed day by day. You think about the condition of Paul as he's writing these words. If he were a car, he would have high mileage and a lot of... of Dents and dings probably wasn't much to look at. He wasn't a handsome, good-looking fellow like Scott Shockey. You know, he was, he was a worn-out man. He dealt with a lot of, of difficulty in life, beaten more times than he could count, starving, thirsty, shipwrecked, stoned, and yet writing from a prison cell. In essence, he says, it gets better. This isn't all that there is. There is hope on the horizon. You think about the different defeats in your life. Those of you sitting here this morning, think about the different defeats in your life. What are they? Many of you sitting here this morning have dealt with serious defeat in your life. Maybe it's the loss of a spouse. Maybe, maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's a difficult diagnosis. Think about all of those different defeats. And I think that many of you who are sitting here this morning who have dealt with those things, who have, who have gotten through and, and now on the other side of them, I think, I believe that you would say, I don't know how I would have done it without God on my side. 
I believe that many of you would say, I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for God and his people. If it wasn't for the church, I don't know how I would have made it. Even death can be a path to victory, folks. We see death as the worst possible experience for a human being, but not so. Not in God's eyes. How many times does the Bible present death as a victory? Defeat can be a path to victory. Because this life isn't all that there is. There's something better, and it gets better. Notice what Paul writes in Romans 8, 37. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That phrase, more than conquerors, or overwhelmingly conquer, is one word in the Greek language. Hypernikaeo. And it means to gain a surmounting victory. In battle, you always lose something. Even if you win the war and you're victorious, you always lose something, right? Maybe there's a treaty signed and you have to give up part of your property. Maybe you lose soldiers in the battle. They become wounded. They come back missing limbs. Or they suffer from PTSD or something of that nature. Battles that are won come at a severe cost. What do you lose as a conquering saint? What do you lose? You may deal with difficulty here on earth. You may lose some things that are precious to you here on earth, but are those really losses? You know, to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him. But is that really, truly a sacrifice when it's all said and done? At the end of the day, what do you lose as a conquering saint? Let me answer for you. Nothing. Not a thing. Because we have hope that no matter what we deal with in this life, we win. In fact, we've already won. In John 10 and 10, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't come just to give us the best life here on earth. Although the best life lived here on earth is a life in Christ. But this abundant life is fully realized in heaven. There is no more abundant life than one that has lived for Christ for Christ, and ultimately with Christ in all eternity. And I think that thought should spur us on to victory each and every day. Walking around my neighborhood the other day, and I noticed that one of my neighbors was building something. And I was curious because it looked like a pretty massive project, so I stopped and I talked with him. He had dug a foundation 150 feet deep. He had poured in three tons of concrete, 37 pieces of rebar, 37 million pieces of rebar, I should say. I said, what in the world are you building? He said, a doghouse. Who does that, right? Who goes to that much trouble to build a doghouse? Actually, that's not a true story, but Nobody's going to go to that much trouble to build a doghouse, right? Let me ask you. Do you think that God sent his son, his only begotten son, to this earth? Do you think he went through what he went through just to give you a doghouse? Do you think that 
Do you think that all the difficulty and the trials and the tribulations that we go through in this life is all for a doghouse? Do you think that what, that's what God has been preparing for us? I don't think that at all, do you? I know better. We all know better. It's just easy to focus on the difficulties at the time and the trials and the tribulations, but we have to look for something better. We have to see beyond the here and now. We will never fully grasp suffering. We will never wrap our finite minds around all the intricacies of suffering. We'll never have all the answers. Someday when we meet God face to face, it may make sense. I don't think we'll care. But either way, when we stand before God and know that we are with Him for all eternity, I have no doubt that we will look on whatever suffering we face in this life and say, well, that was light. That was momentary. And I think as we bask in the radiance of God's glory, and He looks at us and He says, was it worth all the trouble? We're going to say, what trouble? What are you dealing with right now? We want to help you through it. If you need the prayers of this church family, there's a lot of people on the coast dealing with defeat. Remember them in your prayers. A lot of people in our world dealing with defeat, and there are people right here in our congregation who are dealing with defeat. I want to encourage you that it's light and momentary but you need help through it, and let us help you. And maybe you're dealing with the defeat of sin, and maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ, put him on in baptism. Maybe you're ready to start studying the Bible with someone. Or maybe you've done all that, and you've allowed defeat to take you away from God, and you're ready to be restored. Don't live a defeated life. Never, ever, Ask yourself the question, is this as good as it gets? And then respond with, yep, that's it, because it's not. It gets better. Come now as we stand and as we sing.